and welcome back to another episode of Code with Kingy, where for this go-around, I'm sharing the mic with one of the hookers for Auckland and Lenny Upisai, although he's a Wellington boy born and bred. First off, bro, thank you very much for your time out on a Friday night, and how's things? No, all good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's going all good up here, uh, settling in back into Auckland uh, quite nicely after spending a few months back home in Wellington, uh, around one this weekend, so pretty excited about that. Yeah, so obviously you guys got Canterbury on Sunday, but you've had the last month of preseason. How's that all gone? Yeah, no, it's been good. Um, we've got quite a new squad this year. Uh, a lot of guys have, have left to go overseas, so we've got a, um, an exciting group. Uh, a lot of young guys coming through and, and a few old heads coming back. So um, it's just uh, preseason's just been about getting to know each other, really. Hasn't been, I've been a lot of... Uh, a lot of rugby content. It's just been more connections and, and just sort of getting to know everyone. Nice, bro. And I know the, the bro, Celestia Rayasi, he's been in the environment for a while now. Has he taken on any leadership roles, bro? He, he should by oh, now. Bro, he, was, he was in the leadership group last year. He must have done something uh, <laughs> down at the Canes or something, bro, because he got he got sacked. Maybe he missed a few trainings. Uh, but no, he's he's actually he's, he's, he's quite um, seen as, as a bit of a leader up, up here. He's, um, he's matured quite um, nicely in the last 12 months since last uh, NPC. He's starting to talk a lot more in the huddles and stuff. Um, whether he's talking good stuff or rubbish, um, <laughs> you never know. And you can never take him seriously, as you would know. He changes his voice when he tries to be serious. But uh, he's a bit of a clown. Yeah, bro. Well, if he, if he plays like... Anything he did in Super Rugby, he'd be one to follow. But yeah, I'm just not too sure about his actions off the field. <laughs> um, so like obviously Lebanon, we just talked about preseason. But did you get a good break in between? Did you spend any time with a Super franchise at all this year? Uh, yeah. So I was uh, injury replacement for the Blues. Spent the whole of preseason with them, and then uh, managed to get a few caps under my belt as well. Uh, I think it was about. I think I finished around Easter weekend. Um, then came home back to Wellington, back to my family. Uh, ended up playing about and ten games for for Norths as well, and then and then had a week off and then and then come back here straight into preseason. So I'm feeling pretty fresh mentally because it's sort of been on and off with footy. On that point though, bro, for someone like yourself who is an injury cover for a super franchise, just how tough is that for you? You know, obviously you've got a family settled back down in Wellywood. And the fact that you're on call and so you can be gone one week and then they're like, okay, we don't need you one week. And then, oh no, actually we do need you, you know, the next week. Is that like, how does that work for you guys? Like, or how have you been able to juggle all that? Uh, I think uh, um, it is quite tough, sorry. You know, because normally you would be injury replacement for like your local your local team. So like obviously the Canes, but then the Canes had, had their guys that they needed because they got the Wellington boys. But coming up to back up to the Blues, it was, it was quite good because obviously I spent a couple of years with them, so I knew knew a lot of the boys and uh, knew the coaching staff. And then I just had to leave my family because it was too disruptive for them. Like I couldn't just be like, "Hey, come to Auckland with me." Uh, I've, I've signed for a couple of months. It could be longer, but I don't know. So I just I leave them leave them back home too because they settled in quite nicely down there. And then I just live with Akira. Akira Ioane had bought a house, and he's like pretty much just like. Bro, just come live with me when you're up. Like, he's looked after me pretty well. Um, I just leave my stuff in my room and then just just fly in between 
when we need it. So I basically I got two houses. Eh? Bro, shout out to Akira, bro. Sounds like you're very bro. grateful for that. And on that uh, note, I'm like really um good. just just me being a bit of a rugby nerd, bro, and I'm I'm sure some other people have seen those hashtags of yours, like you, you're like Dorito and all that. Like I'm not sure if you can give it all away, but yeah, like where does that all stem from? So there's there's a group of us. There's the Dorito boys. So there's me, Akira, uh, Rico, Sam Nock, Otere Black, and TJ Fayane. Me and me and Otere came up to the Blues at the same year, and then and those were the guys that we sort of kicked it with. Like they were they, those were the guys that that looked after us, you know, because we were both moving away from home, and then uh, we just sort of you know we bonded quite well, obviously, with um, playing with with those boys and other teams. And then, like at the time, like a lot of guys, like a few of us were, were struggling with selection or injuries and like just like setbacks that you faced in your career. And then we sort of decided that, like, you know, whenever we got our opportunities, whether it's at trainings or games, we would play like we had a chip on our shoulder. And then that, that was sort of it. Like, it's, it's kind of silly, but like it meant a bit to like a bit to us. And so, yeah, that's why we, we call ourselves the Dorito Boys. Cool, bro. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that, man. But we'll go back to day dot with you, bro. So how did you even get to start playing rugby? And like, where'd you grow up? Uh, so I grew up in Porirō. Played all my junior junior footy there. Moved up to Whakatane for about a year. Oh, a little place called Pukehina, sorry. When my mum moved up there. And then I ended up moving back to Porirō uh, to live with my nan. Um, I don't know. I sort of just just play footy like like any young Kiwi Kiwi boy. So yeah, obviously played for North Surrey and then uh, went to Altier College, started off at Altier College, uh, playing footy there. And then I went out to Wellington College. Like I was sort of like, maybe it was my fifth form, sixth form year. I made Wellington 16s and then was doing, oh, not like doing great, but like, you know, like I was, doing all right with the big guys or like with the big schools the guys from the big schools. so I thought you know like maybe I could could look at it at, at taking it a little bit seriously so I made the move to go to Wellington College because I thought oh, hey like if I can play against guys from outside the Wellington region then I might have a better chance of, of making the New Zealand secondary schools so yeah made made New Zealand secondary schools that, that was good fun played with a lot of guys who, who are all blacks now um, Damien McKenzie who else was in that team? Oh, Kira was in that team. Uh, and a few others, guys like Atu Molly, Blake Gibson. And, and we had a stacked team. And then and then the year after, I ended up debuting for, for the Wellington Lions. Very fortunate to... Uh, oh, it's quite common now, you know, like a lot of young guys play first year out of school. But back then it was sort of like, oh, it wasn't as common as it is now. And yeah, so played a couple games with them as well as playing Wellington 19s. And then the following year, I, I signed with the Canes on a on a water deal. I spent how many years did I spend at the Canes? About three three years at the Canes before moving up to the Blues, and then yeah, I was playing NPC for Wellington then, and then uh, moved up to Auckland. I think what did oh 2019, uh, Alami gave me a call while I was up here at the Blues asking if uh, I'd consider coming up on loan. And uh, for me, I didn't have a super contract at the time so like for me it was just I just wanted to play and 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 a suffer a suffer didn't uh, he missed out on the All Blacks that year um, he had a few injuries and stuff and I thought you know he, he's a freakish kid so he was playing playing some unreal code 
and I thought, you know, like if I was, I think, I think if I leave, there might be a good chance at, at, at um, getting some decent game time and, and putting my name forward. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of rugby we just chucked through there. Um, yeah, sorry. But, about that. That was a <laughs> no, it's all, it's all good, sorry, bro. bro. But going back to your, your days back in Porirua, um, you mentioned the fact that you shifted out to Cole having started at Altier College. And before we get yeah. to that move, and I, and I want to get more of an understanding as to, well, I think I know why you did, but it'd be good to hear it from the horse's mouth. But you talk yeah. about Porirua and you've got legends like TJ Peronada, who's playing right now, and Jerry Collins and Buxton Popoali'i, and you know the list goes on. You know, As a youngster, yeah. did you look to a lot of those guys as your idols and did they influence you in any way you know with your rugby career and, and wanting to seek that as a profession yeah bro so like um they used to play a lot of the um prem one finals at put it all park so like when i was like young or like just first starting at here like i'd go down there and watch those sort of guys and like you'd see like guys like lima sopoanga and stuff playing for cole and like uh playing for stream and stuff and like those guys were unreal and like I sort of thought like maybe if I could play against guys at that level, uh, you know, like it might help me be a better, better rugby player. So that's why I sort of thought about uh, moving out to out to Wellington Cole because we were like floating between Div One and Div Two when I was at Altair, and then like I, you know, you don't really oh like you obviously see you get guys like Brad Shields and stuff who like come out of Tata College, but like yeah, I don't know. For me, I felt like it would have been. It was a, it would have been easier if I surrounded myself with guys who had similar goals, in that sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's why I sort of looked at. But that didn't even answer your question, sorry, bro. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> My bad. Sorry, I've sort of went sideways. No, it's all good, bro. Like so, <laughs> like obviously that because well, I went to stream, and so yeah. I I've always sort of looked at rugby and seen the the level that it was played at and you know trained around the first 15 you know me and my under 55 c's days or whatever teams i played for at school bro i'm a, I was, I'm a battler still now and i was a battler back then but from your transition from altia to cold did you notice just a shift the mentality straight away i mean it's a given like given the success that cole's had at rugby in its history but like for you did anything change for you like did it make you train more intensely or were you always sort of that way at altia and this just gave you a better environment to be around Oh, no, I wasn't really, like, like that guy who sort of trained hard out. Like, I sort of just kind of kicked it with the boys and sort of just did what, what everyone else was kind of doing. So there wasn't really, like, at Altair, like, there were some great footy players, but they they just played footy for fun. Whereas at Cole, there was, like, guys who, who really wanted to push and make a career out of footy. And then I, yeah, I just sort of wanted to surround myself with guys like that to push me for the, like, you know, to do the extra stuff that needed to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm I'm a lazy trainer. I always was a lazy trainer back then. Still a lazy trainer now, bro. And like, yeah, I, I have to be around the right, right group of guys to, you know, to push for that sort of stuff. Otherwise, I'm just cruisy, bro. Like, I'm just like, oh, what happens, happens kind of thing, which obviously isn't the the best mindset if you want to be great at things but for me i was just like you know i was happy with where oh you know where things are at and then anything else is sort of like a bonus so long story short you were just one of those really <laughs> naturally gifted dudes bro didn't have to work his ass off i wouldn't say naturally gifted bro <laughs> i've i had watched i've watched enough code to understand <laughs> what needs to be done and and what you can get away with 
<laughs> well, you understand it better than most. So you make the move to Cole, you end up playing yeah. schools that year. At that time, you would have probably been thinking, okay, well, if I'm good enough to kick it with the best of the best my age, maybe I can give this thing a crack against men. So was it really the time that you're like, yep, I'm going to pursue footy once I leave school? Or had you already had that sort of mentality once you shifted to Cole or once you cracked the under-16s, like you mentioned at Altair? It probably started off, like I said, in the under-16s, but like it sort of became more of a reality once I had made schools or, you know, like started and moved out to Cole because I sort of figured that, you know, like these are the best of the best. And if I'm rubbing shoulders with them, it's probably a lot more real than, than I thought it would be. Um, but yeah, like it was still just, I, like I still always wanted to play footy. So like I didn't really sort out a plan B or like go to uni or stuff. Like I sort of just did my, did my academy training stuff and then and go to club training. I know I said that I didn't really train and stuff, but like I still wanted, I still had a drive to, to pursue that career it's not like i was you know focusing on on anything else yeah true all right so you didn't have a part-time job in that first year before kicking in with the lions uh not not initially i sort of floated between a couple jobs just sort of doing whatever to to, to get some cash and to live by but uh, yeah nothing nothing too serious Bro, as we all do. I, I, I just asked, bro, because I've talked to a couple of boys and I think that period before they really crack into the rugby, because rugby's only really at the back half of the year when you're talking about getting paid. And they just mentioned the fact that, you know, the jobs that they were working at the time, because both of them didn't end up going to uni, that it was being in that workspace that really pushed them when they weren't there because they're like, I can't see myself doing this, you know, until I retire when, you know, there's yeah. a couple of oldies in that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, fair enough. Like, I've almost gone backwards in a sense because I'm sort of sort of trying to sort that out now. Like, still want to play footy, but then sort of trying to do stuff on the side because, you know, like I haven't got all my eggs in my basket. Like, I was mm. a naive young kid who thought, oh, sweet, like I'm just going to do footy. Footy's going to sort me out. But the reality is, like, it, it isn't. Looking so, back, like, do I'm, you think that's... Yeah. I, I was just going to say, bro, sorry to cut you off, but do you think that's no. something that you know, the likes of the Canes or the Lions or even the academies should really be pushing, you know, the realities around rugby, the fact that I'm pretty sure the statistics say that your average professional rugby player is only around for three years. So like you really, as, as much as you really do need to invest all that you can into your rugby, that there needs to be something for you to fall back on if worse comes to worse. Yeah. And they, they do do that. Like um, they call it professional development in the in the rugby space so that there's like a, a time period and stuff throughout like your working week that has to be allocated to stuff like that so whether it's study or work experience but like when i was younger i just sort of brushed it off like it was easy to brush it off so like say it'd be like in the morning and we might have training in the afternoon like i'd see it as a sleeping you know like i didn't really have that mindset like I, i'm a lot better now with my time but like i just wasted a lot of time it's not that I didn't think that I, I thought that rugby was going to take me. Oh, you know, like I was going to play rugby forever. It was just that, like, I struggled to find something that I was so passionate about as well as rugby. Like, I couldn't, I just didn't know what I wanted to do. Didn't know what I wanted to be. And, like, I just didn't, didn't have a drive to pursue other, other avenues. 
Well, I don't think a lot of people have an idea of what they want to be once they leave school. And I guess the difference between someone like me in comparison to you, because I'm not having to be as attentive with my rugby, you know, just playing club stuff, that I I had to find a different avenue to, you know, like be like, okay, well, rugby is just a fun thing for me. If I'm going to be able to live, uh, I need to find a job or I need to find something that's going to pay the bills. Whereas for someone like yourself, because you had this carrot dangling in front of you saying like, yep, rugby's here. You know, you're good enough to be here. It's just about whether there's obviously an element of luck when it comes to opportunities and injuries and stuff like that. But as long as you put in the work generally um, that meets opportunity, but then at the same time, yeah. you're 18 or 19 and you're still trying to figure out how to be an adult, you know? So yeah, I, I like, it's, it's, it's one of those, it's, it's one of those tough things for a lot of boys like yourself who get a crack early on. And then, you know, as, time wears on you know because like you said rugby doesn't last forever then it's like okay well i've i've enjoyed this high but now i'm having to come back to reality and it's like oh damn it i wish i dedicated a little bro like that's like for me like any time any spare time that i had probably over the last two or three years i was playing playstation so but I, it was just it was just that while you were playing rugby you know i was out getting my education or whatever bro but that's a that's a whole nother topic for a different day bro but you mentioned the fact Sweet. that you cracked that you cracked the lions like straight out of school um, you would have been 18 at the time, 19. What was that yeah, like? It, would have been. it was pretty awesome, eh? Um, uh, like you said, like it, it comes down to luck and, and that's sort of how how it panned out. Like um, there were a few injuries to, to some hookers in the, in, the, in the initial squad. And then I ended up having to play a preseason game against one or two. I was on the bench. And then I think it was the club semis for the following week. And then or the club final and a couple of boys got injured again. And then I was starting against Canterbury in the last preseason game. And then I was supposed to like only play 40 minutes or whatever. And then Reggie Goods was meant to cover hooker. And then he he took a head knock like in the first 10 minutes, bro. So I had to play 80 against Canterbury preseason. And then I ended up starting the following week against Waikato and debuting. But it was pretty awesome, eh? Like I didn't like I didn't think that it would have it would have happened so quickly. And then it's sort of like, you know, that's how it panned out. But I was only, but then I went back down to the 19s. So it was, so I was able to still be a kid, but then I still got a taste of a semi-professional, professional environment. So yeah, it was pretty cool. It sort of gave me a taste of, of what things were like and, and sort of figured out like what it takes to be at that level, if that makes sense, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, pre-season's pre-season, but there must be nothing like your first proper game. So, going into that game against Waikato, like, were you nervous at all? Or, like, are you generally yeah. not that type of guy? Okay. Nah, I was, I was real nervous, bro. I was, like, sit, like getting changed, like, palms sweaty. Like, because like, it was awesome because it was at home. It, it was at now Sky Stadium. And I was able to, you know, a lot of my family were able to come. And, like, just to see... The smiles on their faces you know like come off the field and, and like see my family and to take photos and that and like that's that's why I, I like enjoyed it because it was so like like I made a lot of people proud like I know that it was just NPC but like it was almost like the start of something and I think that like my family uh were proud and, and could see that like I had you know put in put in the work to be there mm. it was it was like an unreal feeling but it was like, like nervous, hard out, like the whole week. And then like, as soon as it happens, like, you know, like it's just like any other game kind of thing. So like, and then I came off and then I was like, phew, 
that's over <laughs> you know like the nerves had stopped and i was like sweet got the first one under the belt and then you know everything else is, is just another game hungry for more i was just gonna hungry say bro, more, bro one of the questions i've never asked and i don't know why it's just come to me now but you mentioned being able to make your debut at home in front of friends and family does that add to the pressure you know, like with being so young and, you know, playing for your hometown city and then you've got your parents in the crowd. So not only are you worried about like policing the coaches, but you're like, if I've got all my family here, there's no way I can go out there and fucking just drop the ball. <laughs> nah, I love it. Eh? Uh, I'm a huge family man. So like, I, I just love it. Like whenever I'm playing anywhere, like I, if, if I've got some family or whatever, like I always tell them to come. But yeah, a lot of my schoolmates came to that game as well. And I actually got bumped <laughs> off by Ben Tamifona. And, like, in my head, I was just thinking, like, the boys are not going to, like, let the slide, eh? And, like, I walked off the field to go see them, and that was the first thing that I said, eh? They were like, so how was Ben? And I was like, nah, you guys are taking the piss now. But, bro, yeah, then... nah, it's, it's crack up, bro. Yeah, it's good sort. Bro, they're not your mates if the first thing they're doing uh, isn't <laughs> taking the piss, bro. Let's be real. Yeah, yeah, yeah fair enough. Now, you mentioned that you ended up picking a, a wider contract up with the Canes the following year, despite only playing like a handful of games in your first year at NPC. So yeah. you would have rolled into that preseason, you know, bang out that preseason, you're in the, the Hurricanes environment. And I mean, you played in rep teams and it's, you know, it's sort of grooming you for those stages. But, you know, looking back at it now, you know, you talk about moving to Cole, playing schools, you play for the Lions like less than 12 months later and then less than six months later from making your Lions debut, you're in with the Canes. Did you find that overwhelming at all? Just being, going from like stepping stone to stepping stone so quickly? Like, I wouldn't say overwhelming. Like it was like a rude awakening. Once I like started preseason with the Canes, that's when I sort of realized like, shit, like there's a lot that needs to be done to be at this level. Cause like I was like I was saying like like just cruising and whatnot. I'm not yeah like I was just chilling and whatnot. So like when I got the phone call, I was like oh sweet preseason starts in November or start of December whatever. I'll just like enjoy my time with my family now and friends and then you know use preseason to get fit. But that wasn't the case, eh? <laughs> Bro, I was battling the first, you know, like my first preseason, well behind the eight ball. And then that's when I learned, nah, you got to be fit 12 months of the year. And, you know, you use preseason to get even fitter. You don't use preseason to get fit. You got to turn up to preseason day one, fit and ready to go. Um, oh. But nah, it was, it was there. That was pretty funny looking back at it now. And I do have to ask, bro, because I ask this with everyone. Like, is there a was there a guy once you got into the environment, you're like, holy, like I'm passing him a rugby ball, or you just made a tackle on him, and you're like, that almost didn't feel real. Was there one player like Ma Nonu, anything like? I don't know. Yeah, because well, I had met Ma before, so that wasn't too bad. Day one, I walk into changing rooms and I, I see my locker. My locker's next to Ben Franks, and then there's a bag like in my locker, and I was like, oh, this must be like new kit or something. So I start like rummaging through it. And then Ben Franks walks in and he's like, bro, what are you doing going through my lunch bag? And I was like, oh shit, sorry, bro. Like I'll just move my stuff into the corner. And I like sacked it, eh? Um, <laughs> yeah. He's a good fella. Like doesn't say, you know, doesn't say a word, but man, he like just scared the shit out of me because I'm like, bro, I just watch you on TV and like your bag's in my locker, but I'm not going to tell you off because, you know, you're the man. Um, yeah, that was probably day one. And then I think another one that I sort of, um, I can think of was 
we had a preseason game against the Crusaders over in mm-hmm. Ikatsuhuna. Mm-hmm. And like we warming up. And then as the warm-up finished, you know, the team runs into the into the changing rooms to put on our jerseys. And then as I'm like walking into the changing rooms, Dan Carter's like walking next to me. And then I'm like just like staring at him like, bro, that's Dan Carter. Like this guy is the man. You know, like he's a goat. And then bro, funnily enough, Ben Franks is behind me, sees all of this, taps me on the shoulder when we get into the changing room and he goes, you're not a fucking kid anymore. You don't look up to this cunt. And I was like, Struth. <laughs> I'm like, bro, but that's Dan Carter, man. Like, I watched this guy on TV since I was a kid. And now I'm about to play against him. Like, obviously, I'm going to be a little bit starstruck. Mm, 100. <laughs> but then, we, bro, yeah. But I definitely, um, you know, chased my tone straight away as soon as Ben Franks hit me up because I was still scared about him. I uh, was still worried about his lunch bag, me rummaging for his lunch bag. <laughs> Unreal, bro. Bro, like, oh, bro, I saw Dan Carter at a festival last year and the guy just glows. So I can't imagine what it's like going up against him on the footy field. But yeah, Kane's wider contract. You're training with yeah. them. You don't quite get your opportunity that year. But what also happened in that year was that you played for the 20s. Now, like, how big a goal was that for you coming out of school? I mean, I know you'd already played schools, but was that one that you also wanted to tick off? Well, actually, I got concussed when we played in Aussie. So I, I made the initial squad and then I missed out on the World Cup for 20s that year because because I got a concussion. But I had a real bad run of concussions that year. So I um, got released from the Canes because I wasn't playing for them and I was playing club. And then I think I got like two within like a couple months and then went away to the Gold Coast for 20s and then got concussed again and then missed out on um, on the World Cup. But to answer your question, sorry, um, it, it was it was a massive goal, like, because it's to represent your country, you know, like, even though it's not an all blacks jersey, it's still a black jersey, and it's you know, like, it's quite quite significant to to have your last name, uh, you know, like, meant to make your family proud because you're representing, you know, your country against against other other teams. So yeah. like when I. Because I, I didn't really know much too, too much about like the under-20s program until until that year. And then when I found out that there's like a World Cup, I was like, Frick, this will be awesome if I could, you know, go play against guys who are going to be future Springboks, you know? Like, imagine that. Like, oh, I, I played against that guy. Now he's carving up. He's carving up against men. Like, I still do that now. Like, I see guys play, you know, when you're watching international footy games and stuff. It's like, I remember that guy from 20s. He was hissing and now he's carving up the All Blacks or whatever, you know, like I'm that guy, you know, like, yeah, I played against him, bro. He was mean. <laughs> Having a few beers with the mates down at the pub. Yeah, bro, I played against him. Bro, that was me when we played you boys <laughs> and TJ Peronado was playing fullback, bro. Got to take that off my bucket list. Yeah, bro, um, that was awesome. Man. Was bro, I'm a real guy. But then, yeah, rolling into the next year, you then pick up a full contract with the Hurricanes but then also yeah. you kept in the New Zealand under 20. So how did that all work? Like, did you start the year with the Canes and then did they release you for the 20s and then you came back to the Canes? 2016 is kind of a funny year. So yeah, I did. I did. Uh, so I started with the Canes and then I think what the go with the Superboys, because there was a few other Superboys that were eligible for 20. So you did pretty much just train and, and could play for your super team. Uh, throughout the year and then do they have like a pre-world cup tournament in australia and oh, i think it was like april or may so we went away for that and then we came back 
for like a couple of weeks and then we were away with the for the World Cup for I think it was like eight weeks. Go to the World Cup and then came back. I think and then and then and then back to the Canes. Now I don't want to touch too much on that campaign because I know it wasn't probably the result you would have wanted, especially being. Hey, all I can say now is that we weren't the worst team, uh, <laughs> New Zealand team to go to a World Cup. At the time, I was going to like obviously it's shit not winning it, but to be labelled as the worst team was pretty hard. But yeah. I think I think a team's finished six now. So then it, it's, it sort of makes it a little bit better. I can hold it up against those boys. I think Harry Plummer was in that team. So I gave him a bit of stick about it when I had trainings and whatnot. Very fair game. But what I did want to ask, bro, is that with being skipper, you know, having missed out on it the previous year, you know, like you said, how much a black jersey means to you. Although it's not the All Blacks, you know, it's probably the closest you could come outside of maybe being a Māori All Black or what was a junior All Black back in the day. So... You know, when you were told that you were going to be captain and even when you got over there and you played the games, although they didn't go to plan, that still must have been pretty special to lead a team in a black jersey. Yeah, bro. When I got the call from Scott Robertson asking if I was keen to, to be captain, I, I was a bit, like, stumped by it, eh? Like, I thought there were a lot of guys that could have, could have captained that team. But when he asked me, I thought, you know what, well, I haven't had a lot of experiences being a captain, but... I'm going to take this opportunity with both hands. So I said, yeah, like keen as. And then when, when we got together um, as a team, I found out that it, like all I had to do was just win the coin toss, bro. Like we had that many natural leaders in our squad and, you know, they did all the talking and whatnot. And I just had to call heads or tails before the game. Simple days. You know. All right. So you come back from that, lead the results to one side and you're back with the Canes. Now they won the comp that year. So how special yeah, was it being a part of that group? You know, like obviously making your debut, going away, you know, captain in the 20s, coming back and then being part of such, you know, or well, being part of the most successful Hurricanes group of all time. Yeah, that's why I said 2016 was kind of a funny year because it was like an emotional roller coaster. Like, it's like obviously had shit result with the 20s, but then to come back with the Canes and be a part of, you know, the team that had won their first championship, you know, so like it was... You know, then I'm back up the top, you know, feeling like we're on top of the world kind of thing, you know. So it was awesome to be a part of it. Very grateful that I was able to to share that experience. Obviously, would have been keen to play. But, yeah, like you said, you know, opportunities. You know, when you take opportunities. And Ricky had got an opportunity and took it with both hands. And, and he sort of leapfrogged ahead of me. Bro, you're still in that environment, bro. You're the one <laughs> holding the tackle bag, so to speak, bro. Everyone needs yeah, those bro. guys, bro. <laughs> all the unsung heroes eh? bro oh, exactly <laughs> exactly bro <laughs> so you get your chip with the canes yeah and then you end up getting picked for the maori all blacks also bro i do my homework bro like i've never done my homework before in my life but for whatever reason with this podcast it's brought something new out of me but yeah do you want to speak on that environment like because i've been very grateful yeah. to have a few boys on that have being picked in those teams and they talk about it being totally different to any other environment they've been in when it comes to rugby so yeah like what does it mean for you like did you know much about your whakapapa before going into that or about maori tanga or did this give you um a bigger glimpse into you know the whole maori side yeah to be honest i didn't have a lot of knowledge around around um, maori tikanga and te maori and, and that sort of stuff um so it was a real eye-opener it's 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 hard to explain 
what it's like in that environment because it is so special in terms of the cultural experience. There's no no team like the Māori All Blacks. It's it's pretty special, like to represent your your family from and your whakapapa, like you said, and a lot of it is based around, you know, culture comes first in that team and and the rugby sorts itself out. So that was that was something different uh, for me, but it, it, it definitely was an eye opener and ignited a little flame in me that sort of wanted to figure out, you know, who I was and where I came from. So has that, um, have you, have you gone on to do any more study, you know, having left that environment? A little bit like, a, you know, I have a better understanding of, of, of my whakapapa. Obviously I'd like to do, do some more and, you know, like to, to and, and start a journey on, on being able to, to speak Māori or, you know, have confidence to, um, you know, to, to, to just conversate, you know, even just using little phrases and stuff, but definitely need to do a lot more, a lot more work behind that. But you're not the only one, bro. Like I've, I've got yeah. like my, my mum uh, took to the at, at university and at some time was fluent and my sister's studying up in Ōtaki doing the full immersion to the course. And my dad's doing Māori studies at Vic, bro. So I'm like almost the old one out. So yeah, I, I definitely need to boot up the ass when it comes to that stuff, bro. But moving back more to the rugby. So you end up spending another year with the Canes in 2017. But then like you mentioned before, as part of your intro, you shifted to the Blues for the 2018 yeah. season. So how early on in the piece did you have to make that call? Um, and again, you know, like you talked about the fact you got Dane Coles there, who's been an instrumental leader, you know, a suffer was kicking on and you talked about Ricky taking his opportunity. So I'm guessing it was just more so to give yourself a better opportunity at getting some decent minutes under your belt at the super level? Yeah, well, uh, Chris Boyd, who was, who was the head coach at the time, and something that I'm, I'm very grateful for was that he he didn't beat around the bush with, when it came to, to that. He he sat me down earlier on in, in, that, in that season and said, like, hey, Ricky's taken his opportunity. We've obviously got Colsey's and All Black, and, and there's this young kid, Asafo, who's coming through who we think is has going to be the the shit and obviously is being an All Blacks and then he sat me down and said like there's not going to be a spot for you for for next season and I was obviously being gutted um, for missing out on selection but because it was so earlier on in the season and I didn't get let on or anything because that, that that happens quite a bit these days like you know coaches say like oh you know there's a spot for you when or like you know like if you keep pushing so like you think you've got a chance but Woody just sat me down and just told me straight up. And then, so I was like, had my little cry. Oh, you know, like, you know, gutted about it. But then I thought, you know what? Fuck it, if this is going to be my last year with the Kings, I'm going to do what I can to help the team. And so, like, I did that. And then it was, it was beneficial for myself because I ended up playing some half-decent code because I was, you know, just trying to help the team do best. And then I got a phone call after the British and Irish Lions game from Tana asking if, if I'd consider coming up to the Blues. And then obviously because Bordy had said that there was nothing at the Canes, I thought, yeah, you know what? It'd be silly for me to stay around in Wellington, trying to hang around and wait for a spot to open here, whereas I can, you know, still have be 40 full time and, and push for, for some game time up here. Nice, bro. You know, like you mentioned, all you guys want is players. This is just transparency. 
I mean, it's good yeah. to hear that you had a coach that was willing to tell you the news straight up, even though it's probably not the news you want to hear at the time. But, you know, looking at your yeah. career, um, longevity-wise, it's it's put you in better stead. So you make the shift up to Auckland. Now, as a Porirua boy, and then moving, you know, I mean, you're having to train in town, or you go to Cole, and that's, you know, more of the big smoke. And then having been based in Wellington for so long, you're making an even bigger trip up to an even bigger smoke in Auckland. So was that a very easy adjustment? And I know the Blues weren't the greatest team at that time when you shifted up there. So what was the environment like going from, you know, a really successful Hurricanes team who had a lot of legends to a group that was, you know, not quite there or they hadn't quite tapped into their potential? Well, um, moving into the, the big smoke was all right because I lived in a flat with a lot of guys who, oh, well, pretty much most of the guys who came from out of town. So we just kicked it together and, you know, we sort of just went to touring trying to figure out where these motorways end up. But then in terms of the, the blues environment, it, w- it was sort of a funny one, eh? It was, um, you could definitely see what was missing and you could see why they weren't doing as well as they wanted to do because, you know, like we had our preseason camp, our camps and whatnot, set our goals and, you know, like that's just the same as everyone else. And then, and then you know, you, you lose a couple games or, you know, and then it was, it was easy to see that, you know, a lot of guys dropped their heads and thought, oh, it's just another year with the Blues, another losing season. But there was a, you know, a, a core group of, of young guys like, like the Ioane boys, TJ Fayane as well, Blake Gibson, who were really keen local Auckland boys uh, to, to see the Blues succeed. So, you know, like they were trying to drive standards that I had seen at the Canes. So it was awesome to see that. But at the Canes, you know, like everyone was doing it, but that wasn't the case here at the Blues. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not, yeah. I'm not sure how comfortable we're going to, feel answering this question but I just do want to ask it you know obviously Tan is still involved with the Blues and since Leon McDonald's taken over you know there's been a bit more success so you know having still been involved with the Blues this year you know what what's changed like Tana wouldn't have changed as a guy but is it just you know does Leon McDonald bring something extra or is it just more a a matter of like you said that the Iwani boys you know obviously as they grow in stature they lift other boys around them and then you get everybody on the same page and then bang, all of a sudden everything's working and you're not dropping your heads when you're down by 10 points. Instead, you've got this inner belief that you're going to kick on and win games like they've done this year. I think I think it was just more of an environment change like because I was with them in, was it 2019? And then to come back now, like everyone's just got this, this inner drive to, to be better. And, and to work hard because they didn't want to let down their mate. Yeah, so obviously there was like some technical, tactical stuff from the, the coaches, but I feel like the leadership group really drove standards of working hard and working hard for your brother. And that was quite evident, like coming back into the environment this year because, you know, everyone just wanted to work hard because their mate next to them was working just as hard, if not harder. So that was probably the, the massive, massive shift coming back in oh yeah it's just it's just it, it interests me because you know like every year every team says like yep this is our year we've got we've got all these new bits and bobs coming in but then for whatever reason the team either goes up or they go down and it's just it's just been weird seeing the blues because although you've had like you said the, you mentioned the Awani boys and obviously bringing in a guy like Bowden Barrett last year that helps but yeah like for me who's for someone who's never been in that environment 
I was just so surprised at how quickly that stuff will change because it, they, it all, like they've had a stack team for a while, but yeah. it just never clicked into gear. And that's probably that's probably it. Like it just it didn't click because there wasn't complete buy-in almost. Like I don't know. I don't want to throw them under the bus. Yeah, anything, bro. That's what, I'm, like, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to like tee you up for something. But here, bro, yeah, but, yeah, but like to just to, to, to say it like um, you know, in a way that's not gonna hurt anyone. It's probably that. Yeah, like now. Like everyone, everyone's brought into the vision of of what the Blues want to be, and that that's probably why they they were quite successful this year. True, true, true. All right. So you mentioned the fact that you're with them for 2018, 2019, um, and then you were back with them in 2021. But last year, you'd actually signed for the Sunwolves, and although yeah, I and although I know that that was <laughs> a bit of a weird year because the competition got called off, what like just over a month into it. I'm just curious as to how that deal came about and then did you actually end up going over to Japan at all and how much time did you spend in that environment? So, so yeah, we did. Um, I did end up in Japan. Uh, we started preseason in January where I was just looking for a gig, really. Like, I was still keen to play footy and then was, was sort of just keen to take whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And the Sunwolves was quite a weird uh, situation because 2019 was a World Cup year the Japanese top league got delayed into 2020. So what normally happens is Japanese top league plays and then a lot of their players play for the Sunwolves during Super, whereas they weren't available to play during Super. So they pretty much just got, I wouldn't say the leftovers, but they just got anyone who was available pretty much from South Africa, Australia, and New Zealand. Or we had a guy from Georgia as well. And then pretty much chucked the team together. We had two weeks preseason. But that was awesome because I'd never been to Japan before. And we I think within the two-week preseason, we traveled to like four different cities and stayed in like seven different hotels. So I got to see country that I probably never never would have gone to for free, you know, just to play footy. So, yeah, Unreal, that was pretty bro. cool. Like having had that sort of insight as well, do you feel like it's a place that you definitely consider going to rugby career-wise, maybe a little bit down the track? Oh, 100%, bro. I, I loved it there. Right? I fell in love with, with the place straight away. Um, hissing food. <laughs> and and, and the, the people over there are really nice. So, yeah, definitely. Um, oh, you know, like I would try to get it get over there and play top league because I feel like the, the way that they play over there sort of suits the player that I, I am and the way that I like to play the game. So, yeah, definitely, definitely see myself playing over there if, um, if I can pick up a gig, really. And, and like we just mentioned, like right at the top of the podcast, like you're, you're in it with Auckland at the moment, but obviously looking forward, just off the back of what we just mentioned before, you know, you'd like to get over to Japan, but obviously there's the new Super Rugby franchise coming into effect next year. So do you have any plans like set in stone or anything that you can reveal to me and my listeners? Nah, nah nothing, nothing set in stone at the moment. I just, just sort of trying to focus on on, on this season with Auckland. So, you know, the goals are to, to stay fit and healthy and and uh, and play play well for Auckland. And then I feel like the rest will just sort itself out. So so nothing at the moment, but I'm hoping that if I, you know, stay fit and healthy, play some decent code for Auckland, that, that the rest will sort itself out. I don't really like to think uh, too far ahead these days because then I start getting worried about, you know, whether this will happen or whether it won't happen. So sort of just try and focus on, on the now with the future sort of still sitting there in, in the back of my head. Great way to look at it, bro. Staying present, just worrying about the yeah. task at hand. 
Um, and before we get into my last few bits of my podcast, bro, um, and I should have done this at the top of the podcast as well, but <laughs> RTS, what's it been like having that follow <laughs> in the environment, that, bro? And who has he already put on skates at training? Bro, he actually put AJ Lamb on skates uh, this afternoon. <laughs> nah, bro, it's 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 um, bro, it's pretty it's pretty awesome. Obviously, you know, RTS is the man and has been the man for the Warriors and the Roosters, you know, for a very long time. But it's good to have him in the environment. Like he's he's very professional in what he does, so you can see why he's you know why he's been he's such a good player. But bro, like he came in. I think this is his first week in training, and he's just like carving up a like just so dynamic with ball in hand, as you can see on on the telly. Uh, still got a little bit to learn with the you know the the code switch, but you know I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, if he gets a debut in the in the coming weeks. Just gets chucked in there to. Thing. True. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask, but obviously he's only been in, in training a week because that's been obviously the big talking point with him being released from the, the Warriors earlier um, than expected yeah. and then being thrown into the rugby environment. But, bro, I don't want to make this about him. I was this. Is, I know that you're the first yeah. person that I'd be able to talk to about him, bro, <laughs> but, this, but this podcast is about you. Um, and I appreciate nah, you telling good. me a bit about your career. But before I do let you go, uh, like I do with all of my guests, I have two segments that I want to end on. I'll leave the funny one for last, bro, but can you run me through firstly what your game day routine is? My game day routine? Uh what time's kickoff? <laughs> bro, go through both. I've got I've got all day, bro. I'm a rugby yeah. nerd. Uh we'll start with the night games because the, the night games are sort of quite easy to do. Nah, nothing special. Just you know, wake up and normally go for a walk while I'm up here because there's a nice cafe just around the corner. Walk up, uh go wake up, go for a walk down there, grab a you know, breakfast and a coffee, uh, come home and play my PlayStation. <laughs> you know, I like to chill out, bro. Like, I don't want to um, try not to think about the game too much. You know, just sort of do a bit of stretching and stuff. But, bro, mainly just play my PlayStation, uh, watch a movie, have a little nap after lunch. Uh, and then I'll wake up and then I'll have, I have porridge, bro. Porridge is, is, is what I have for pre-match. A few hours before kickoff, you know, like my last meal, just have a massive, well, not a massive bowl, but a decent-sized bowl of porridge, banana, you know, a bit of honey and peanut butter mixed for it, and then and then I'm heading heading down to the ground. But yeah, nothing nothing special, no no rituals or anything silly like oh not silly, but yeah like that. But I sort of just try and keep it low key, bro. Stay off my feet and 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 stay horizontal. <laughs> And so what changes for the, the afternoon games and like how big it like actually how big an adjustment is that for you boys? It's 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 not too bad. Like, you know, I've played a few games now at, at both oh, you know, at either time. So I'm sort of used to it now. But basically it's just if it's like a two o'clock, like I'm pretty much I'll I'll sleep in a little bit longer and just wake up and then have my have my pre match and then we're pretty much on straight away. So that's when it's not as much downtime during the day to play my PlayStation. <laughs> Fair enough, bro. All right. We'll get to my last segment, bro. It's called 10 in the bin. Uh, you might have listened to it, bro, if you've listened to any of my other podcasts, but it's just yeah. 10 questions, bro. And I, if you can answer them as honestly as possible, uh, that'd be much appreciated. Sweet brother. Hit me. All right. Number one, what's your go-to vessel at a pre-drinks on a night out? Uh, probably Corona's. With the lemon in? Yeah. Oh, it depends how much they cost. Say, eh? well, if I can, if I'm, 
if I drive past the lemon tree on my way there. All right. Who's the biggest coach's pet you've been around? Biggest coach's pet? Um, biggest coach's pet? Oh, that's a tough one. I'll go with Otere Black, bro. Yeah. Yeah, he's a bit of a coach's pet. Likes to keep the coaches happy. <laughs> I've seen him. I've seen him walk into a few few meetings with the coaches holding a tray of coffees. Eh, you know what's going on there. You gotta do what you gotta do. All right. Uh, <laughs> who was your idol growing up? Uh, Jerry Collins, bro. Yeah, Jerry Collins. You know, local Porirua legend, and uh, you know he was a hosting player. Loved yeah, the, the, the physicality. Rest in love. All right. Uh, what's your must do on a day off? Bro, must do a sleeping. Sleeping and a massage is my go-to on a day off. It's pretty standard for you footy boys these days. Uh, favorite, <laughs> yeah. favorite cheat meal? Favorite cheat meal, Maccas, bro. Love Maccas. Uh, after every game, straight to the drive-thru on the way home. Man. What's your order? Uh, two McChickens and a double cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> what, hold the chips? Combo? Oh, no, nah, combos, bro. Yeah, combos. Fanta as well, man. Yeah. None of this Coke Zero stuff, bro. <laughs> Need all the kills. <laughs> yeah, bro. If you're going to do it, you better do it right. 100. All right, bro. Now, now I know we've already talked about, you know, you not quite knowing what you want to do post-rugby, but um, the question is, if you weren't a rugby player, what would you be? And so you can have a bit of fun with it. Like, do you think you would have picked up another sport or like, is there anything that dream-wise you want to accomplish before? You know, it's bro, all I'll tell done? you the story. Uh, when I was about six years old, I wanted to work at the BP, bro, because they had the hissing pies. So that's what I'm going to go with. You know, I would have worked at the BP, bro, just to eat all the pies I could get. <laughs> Steak and cheese or? Nah, mince and cheese, eh? I just like the humble mince and cheese pies, bro. But yeah, they saved a good one uh, around the corner from home when I was younger. <laughs> Might have it up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, I think they changed the recipe, bro. <laughs> nah. <laughs> um, question number seven. Uh, who's the cheapest teammate you've been around? The, the cheapest teammate, bro, is easy. Jonathan Rue. Honestly, that guy has the shallowest pockets I've ever seen. Actuals, bro. Mate. <laughs> He's probably going to hate it, I think. <laughs> because <laughs> i always give him shit about it too <laughs> bro is he the double whammy as well does he rock up when like one of the boys at the bar and he's like yeah who wants a drink is he the first <laughs> to stick his hand up as well yeah bro or if it's like coffees <laughs> like if he he'll rush in there or he'll either be the first one in there so he just has to buy himself one or he'll wait until someone you know who's, who's a bit more generous might be like oh hey what do you want oh yeah sweet bro i'll just grab a long black or whatever he gets <laughs> something like that bro <laughs> bro there's bro there's always one bro there's always one yeah. uh number eight bro have you got a song or artist that you've got on repeat at the moment and you could recommend me hitting up on spotify bro I actually just uh recently just been fresh in j cole's latest album with me i didn't really know too much about j cole you know when he first came out but definitely loving his stuff now that i've, I've been listening to it True, yeah. I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of his either, but a lot of the boys um get in behind them and I and I did make the effort to listen to that latest one. There, there was a lot of um hype about it, eh? Yeah, bro. So I thought, oh, you know, like I'll, I'll see what it's all about. And like the, the more and more I listen to it and, and actually 
take note of of the lyrics that are actually being said is you know like you definitely understand why he's got a lot of love and, and a massive fan base yeah bro a lot of thoughts go into the song uh number nine who is the biggest grub you've played with and against the biggest grub can i say myself nah that's good <laughs> bro the biggest grub it's there's, there's been a few out there um Bro, to be honest, it was probably playing club against Charlie Gubb, bro. He's actually a menace, but it's it, it's awesome because the you know Maris feed off it like he 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 pushes the boundaries, but you know like it works for him and his team, bro. But he's a good guy off the field. <laughs> just have to get that in there, easy, you know, just in case he you know comes knocking on my door. But yeah, nah, he's a good guy, but bro, can he just it's like a switch turns on there and he just becomes. An asshole, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Bro, yeah, like I said, bro, there's always one. And like, funnily enough, bro, you're not the first one to mention him. I can't quite remember off the top of my head who, <laughs> who also mentioned his name. But yeah, like yeah. he's um notorious. We'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. All right, bro. Last question. All you got to do is finish off the sentence for me. Saturdays are for the boys. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get told off for that as well. <laughs> you can say I love you babe like before we go bro as well if you just want to drop nah, that in there nah. yeah I love you babe it's not for the boys it's for our family nah, nah safe oh bro to be fair there is only one one answer one one real answer bro like <laughs> one real answer yeah bro if I yeah. stuck you on a, on a um, lie detector bro like <laughs> that thing's crossing if you don't say that answer that you just whipped out bro but 100% <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but like, like I mentioned right at the top of this podcast, bro, I'm very, very grateful to have taken up a bit of your time on a Friday night. Um, and thank you for being so transparent with your story, my bro. It's what I love to do. I love to oh, hear about what guys have gone through. You know, it's not all the glitz and glamour that we see on TV. And like you said, right now for you, you know, you're having to face some harsh realities. But fingers crossed, post this Bunnings NPC, bro. Um, that still sounds weird for yes. me to say that rather yeah, than mine. Yeah, different name. Yeah. Hopefully you get, uh, you know, you clock up some good game time and then the, the selections or contracts take care of themselves. Cheers, bro. Appreciate you having me on. Like I said, I get real nervous around this sort of stuff because I'm not really good at, at putting thoughts that are in my head into words. But no, nah, it's been awesome. Had some good fun. Uh, appreciate it. Nah, bro, appreciate you. Best of luck for Sunday against Canterbury, my man. My pleasure. Sweet, brother. Sounds good. Awesome. All right, bro. Peace. My man. Cheers, bro.